Um, why don't you grab your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter one, and I have a word um, from God for you that I want to give you. Would that be okay with you? And, um, and so Luke chapter one, we've kind of entitled this series of messages just simply Christmas at Pathway. And I was so excited. I was in the 11 o'clock last week. I didn't speak, but I was in the 11 o'clock. Pastor Jessica was speaking, and, and, I, and I loved um, hearing uh, what she was speaking because I thought she doesn't even know what God's put on my heart for the next two weeks, but it was like in a way she was kind of already leaning that way, laying some foundation. And so I'm really encouraged to know the Holy Spirit is taking us on a journey, even at Christmas time. You know, God actually doesn't take a break at Christmas time, believe it or not. Like it's kind of a big deal for him. It's, it's kind of all about his, his son, Right. It's like all about God, like everything about Christmas is all about God. And I know, you know, culture separates Christmas from God and it becomes about all the stuff and all the gifts and all the. But it's all about God. And, 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 and so we like Christmas. I know sometimes as pastors, they'll be talking. They're like, you know, it's Christmas, so you can't really get a whole lot done because people just aren't really paying attention. They're not really with you. They're kind of busy. They're distracted. And I always think when I, because I was in a conversation with some pastors this week and they weren't being negative. It's just an observation. You know, uh, it's Christmas time. People are in and out. They got other things. They got program. And I always think, man, is this so backwards? Like, I'm so busy. I just can't go to church at Christmas. Bah humbug. No, we a Scrooge. Anyways, um, but but I love knowing that God, even at Christmas time, like He's not taking a break; He is still speaking to us. And so, Luke chapter one, uh, this is part of the Christmas story. Let's just read this together. It says, "In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's John's mom, John the Baptist." Um, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings to you, highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled. In today's vernacular, an accurate translation would be, and Mary was freaked out. Okay? And you would be too, by the way. Yeah. Because she didn't have Luke chapter 1 and know what was happening. She's just washing laundry and boom, there's an angel. And so Mary was freaked out in his, in, at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God and you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him na his name Jesus or call him Jesus and he will be great. And he will be called son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. And Mary said, how can this be since I, King James, know not a man? Um, the angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born to you, will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Now, now I'm not going to preach this, but you might want to underline it. Verse 37, for no word from God will ever fail. Um, the accurate translation of that, uh, the, the word word there is sperma or seed. It, it's basically no word. Every word from God has contains the power to fulfill itself. That's what the, accurately, if you broke the language down, that's what it means. Right. So um, that's I like that. You, you didn't seem very impressed, but that's OK. Whew, tough crowd. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. We're about to stand up and sing 
again. Um, <laughs> verse 38, I'm the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may the word be fulfilled. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. And the angel left her. Uh, I call this message a Christmas story. A Christmas story. Um, can we pray together? Father, thank you so much for your word. God, for this opportunity to sit in your house, in your presence with your people. And God, we pray that your word would, would, would stick in our hearts. It would penetrate in our hearts. And, and God, that, that you would build up, you would encourage, you would strengthen. God, that you would cause us and call us to have faith and come to a new place in faith and trust in you. God, we pray that we would hear whatever your Holy Spirit wants to say specifically to each one of us. And then, God, we will leave here with the intention of walking out your word and never being the same. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. So does anybody watch the movie A Christmas Story with little Ralphie, the Red Rider BB gun, and the you'll shoot your eye out? Do you guys watch, do y'all watch, how many watch Christmas movies? Like, yeah, you're my people. How many, let's be honest, how many watch Hallmark movies, Hallmark Christmas movies? Have y'all noticed they're all the same? Um. My, I've got a I've got a 15 year old little girl that lives with me, um, my daughter, <laughs> and so, um, but uh, but she loves Hallmark Christmas movies, and and if I sit down for three minutes, I got the whole movie figured out, and it's nice and it's warm and it's fuzzy. Um, anyways, but we like Christmas. So it's a Christmas story, a Christmas story. Ralphie, you you'll shoot her out. Now, what does what does Luke one and a Christmas story have to do? Um, with each other. Not, not a lot, except that the way we got the movie A Christmas Story, it was an adaptation of, of a writing called In God We Trust, Everyone Else Must Pay Cash by Gene Shepard. And then in 1983, Gene Shepard, or really before then, but it was released in 1983, Gene Shepard and Bob Clark, who was the director of A Christmas Story, came together and wrote essentially the movie we know as A Christmas Story, basing events and characters on the writings of Gene Shepard. Essentially, they wanted to write a movie called A Christmas Story um, together. And, and what I see in, in Luke chapter 1 is also another collaboration that takes place to write A Christmas Story. That, that God has been writing this story all along. In fact, Hebrews 12 says that he is the author and the completer of our faith. Um, Acts chapter 3, Peter says this. He says that he's talking to the Jews. He said, you kill the author of life. And I got to think about God as an author. And God wanted to write a Christmas story. But it was a collaborative effort because in order to write a Christmas story, God needed some help from Mary. God needed her participation and cooperation in order to write his story. He needed the blank pages of her life, and he needed her to give him the pen to those pages and allow him to pen a narrative and a plot and a story that would be read for thousands of years. And I just had this question as I thought about this, it's pondering, if you will. I this question, would you allow God the same artistic liberty in your life? Would you allow God to write his story through the pages of your life? Will you allow God to write your story the way Mary allowed God to write hers? And that's really what I want to talk about is just what would it be like 
What would it be like to, to let God write his story through our lives, to surrender the pen, if you will, to give him complete artistic and creative liberties? Because that's what I see that, that Mary did here. So three things you might want to write this down that I've got you thinking, either thinking or sleeping. But I want you to write this down. God doesn't need your outline. He needs your permission. He doesn't need your outline. Uh, he needs your permission. Luke 1, 38, Mary says, may your word to me be fulfilled. And what I realized with the story that God wants to write, with God wanting to write his story through you, every great story starts with the same thing, a yes. It starts with a yes. Now I want to pause right there because really this story starts before the first yes. And what I mean by that is when Gabriel came to Mary, he actually said to Mary, behold, and he said, you have, check this, you have found favor with God. And this tells me that God was watching before Luke 1. And this tells me God had a plan and a purpose. He had a story that he wanted to write. And we know this story was prophesied. You can go all the way back to Genesis 3. You can see it, uh, Isaiah 7, 700 years before uh, Jesus is actually born. A virgin shall be with child, right? 600 years. And so, so we know God was writing this story, but he comes to the chapter. He comes to the time. He comes to the space in the timeline of the story when now it's time to write the Christmas story and he has been looking for someone to write the story through. And it says, Mary found favor. And what I want to say is, now we know from the Bible that everyone that God has ever made, and God made each of us and formed us in the womb. We know that from the word of God. He, he made you. He formed you. He knit you together, the Bible says. And we also know the Bible tells us that, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Whether it's Jeremiah 29, 11, you know the plans I have for you. Whether it's Romans 8, that, that all things work together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. Whether it's Jesus in John 15 that says, as I chose you, you didn't choose me. And I chose you so that you would go and bear fruit and that fruit would remain. So we know God, even if, this is what I'm gonna say, you may be sitting here and it may be foreign to think that God has a specific calling, a specific purpose, a specific plan for your life. But here's what I want you to know. The Bible is conclusive and clear on the fact that God has a plan and a purpose for every person. Now here's, let me back up and say this. But if you don't know what that is, I want you to do what Mary did, and that is I want you to live as though you have a plan and a purpose even before you may understand your plan and purpose because it is living as though you are purposed that empowers, enables, and brings you to the place of God's purpose for you. Mary, you found favor. In other words, you were living in such a way that you were faithful to God even when you didn't know the plan to be faithful to. And God said, if you'll be faithful to me, I know you'll be faithful to the plan. And so faithfulness to me when you don't know the plan is the proving ground so God can give you a plan to be faithful for. This is good preach. I wish you'd be as excited as me. I don't know what you paid to get in here, but double it. I'm just kidding. Are you, are you with me? Because we don't know a lot about Mary. Um, I, Matthew 1 gives us the, the, the genealogical record, I believe, of Joseph. Some theologians believe it is possible that Luke's uh, genealogical account is actually Mary's 
genealogy? And if so, then she is also from the tribe of Judah, the lineage of David. And her, her because we know that because her father's son is H-E-L-I, Hel-E. And so since, since that's her dad, then we know that she was devout. She was from the tribe of Judah. She was of the lineage of David. And so we know that she was a devout person, a spiritual person, a faithful person. But we know from what God says about her, the angel says when he shows up, you found favor. We know she was faithful to God even before she knew the plan of God. And I think so many times we think, well, when I know his plan, I'll get faithful. Oh, when I find the one, then I'll live like the one they need to marry. When I get the promotion, then I'll start giving. Like sometimes, or, listen, we don't have to be honest. It's okay, we're just in church. But... um. Isn't it true that sometimes we think faithfulness will begin when I really understand the plan? And the principle here is what brings you to that, to that precipice, to that, to that intersection of understanding the will and the plan and the purpose of God for you is actually what you did before then that matters. And I want to encourage you to say that if you're in this room and you're like, I don't know God's plan for me. Great. Live like he has a plan for you. I don't know God's purpose for me. Great. Live like God has a purpose for you because that is what will bring you into his purpose for you. That's what brings you to the place of being able to say yes. Are, are you with me? And so here, Mary says yes. Now, yes isn't easy. Because, I mean, and, you know, think about it. It was prophesied 600 years earlier in Isaiah um, in Isaiah chapter 7. And so there was always this buzz with little Jewish girls like, hey, you know, the Messiah is going to be born of a virgin. And what if God picks me? You know, and I don't think Mary was all caught up in that at all. But it was, it's not like it was, it had never been said before. You understand what I'm saying? And so you would think when the angel showed up and said, hey, you're going to be with child. She'd be like, winter, winter, chicken dinner. But it wasn't easy because, see, the problem was God shows up with purpose, but Mary already had a plan. She was planning a wedding. She was saying yes to the dress. He went to Jared. Three words every man hates. Every kiss begins with K. Um, but anyways, you're just doing that to sell. Anyways, say no to commercial. No, I don't want to get, never mind. Hush. Um, but anyways, um, she's on Pinterest. She's trying to figure out the decorations and the flowers and if we're going to do canon and D major or if we're going to get really creative and do something else. And we're trying to find bridesmaid dresses that, that are nice, but make sure that none of the bridesmaids look more attractive than the bride. And hey, I've done a lot of weddings. You hear a lot of interesting things. <laughs> Why she make us wear this? She just didn't like the way I looked. I might be. Marriage is what brings us together today. <laughs> but I mean, she is, she is, she is, she is planning a wedding, and she's in the first part of a two-part ceremony, if you will, because their engagements were different. Their engagements were a formal engagement. That's why Joseph talks about divorcing someone he's betrothed to or engaged to because their engagements actually in Judaism, uh, in their culture, they had two parts. So the first part of the engagement was a formal engagement like a wedding, only it was in, in that time they actually limited, they had no physical contact with each other.
each other and very little social contact to protect their fidelity. But also that first 12 months was all about preparing to be married. And so they're in that first 12 months of preparing their own self to, to step into matrimony, if you will, or, or into the, the actual consummation of the marriage. And so Mary is, she's, she is in, she is engaged to be married. And if she says yes to having a baby, things are going to get awkward. But God always loves to interrupt our plans with his purpose. Do you know why this is very simple? Because his purpose is better than your plan. His purpose is better than your plan. And so God comes to Mary and says, hey, so about about your outline. I've been reading over. It's good. Because have you ever submitted to God an outline of how you think your life could go? Are you, have you ever done this? I submit a rough draft once a week. I'm, I'm a writer. And I've submitted many outlines and many rough drafts and many plots and many ideas. And I always make God the hero just in case he wants to accept it. Look at this, God. You get to win. And so Mary has this outline called this engagement and this marriage to Joseph. And God interrupts and says, hey, I don't, I don't, need, your, I don't need your outline. I need your, I need your permission. I, I need you to say, yes, Proverbs 16, 9 says, a man's heart plans his ways. But then God will come and just mess that up. That's my, that's my loose unabridged interpretation. Because it says, a man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord then directs his steps. And so many times, God's purposes conflict with our plans. But, but the faith and the trust is that his purposes are greater. His plans are greater. And so then we have to come to the place that Mary came to, to say, can you give God permission to write your story, which is to say, will you sign away the rights to your life story? Will you let the great biographer write it? And will you give up your autobiography? That's not always easy, right? If it was easy, everybody would do it. You know, the truth of it is sometimes, can, can we just be real? Sometimes in Christendom, we want to use God to write our story instead of allowing God to write his story through our life. Right? Because as a Christian, I know the blessings. I know the promises. I'm blessed with Abraham. Mm, I'm blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed going in, blessed coming out. Mm, blessed and highly favored. It's God's will that I prosper and being healthy as my soul prosper. We know the will and the promises of God. And so if we're not careful, many times we build our outline and try to use God's power and blessing to write the story we want. Oh, you're not going to be honest. That's okay. I got it. Stare at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Everybody in your life group said, you don't need to be in that relationship. Oh, I know, but if I just keep bringing him to church, God's going to change him. Keep trying to write your story. Yeah. 
God, you know, I know you want to prosper me and, and I know that you're going to give me this job and, and God, this is the job that I want and this is what I want to do. And, and if I have this job, I can give more. I can sow more Jesus. Ooh, you're not sowing anything now. Because we know how, how to use God's word to remind him of things that he's supposed to do, which are aimed at things that we want. But, but here the question wasn't, like Mary didn't say, hey, Gabriel, I'm so glad you showed up because I just need to know that God was with me and I have this outline. And so could you anoint my plan, please? That wasn't the question. The question wasn't, Mary, can you use God to write the story you want? It was, will you surrender the pen to allow him to write through you the story he wants? Because when, when we say yes to God, what, what, we're actually, what we're actually saying when we say, when we come to God and we say yes, and we surrender and we give him the pen, we are saying yes to our life, not looking the way we want it to look. We're surrendering what we want our life to look like where we want to end up at. Do you understand that? And you know, the truth of it with God is, is, is that, is that there, there is not just one yes. It's never just one yes. Like I think, I think it's another thing in, with Christians and believers, and, and it's, not, it's not the people's fault. I think ministers have messed this up because they've told people, you, you got to get your ticket to heaven. You just got to pray the prayer, and someday when God comes back, you get to go, and, or if you die, you get to go. And so this is what, this is, the whole reason Jesus came was so you could pray a prayer and get your ticket to, to heaven. And I hate that terminology, but I've heard it so much, it just drives me crazy because I'm like, I don't think God has an airplane or a bus or a train. And I don't think that's all there is. Like, are you telling me that's all there is? Like, I just say yes to God and then live the life that I want to live. And someday when I die, I go to heaven. That makes, that makes my time here of no value or consequence. And, and that's not what I see in the Bible. I see this God of purpose and plan and intentionality. This, this God who said, I, I want my kingdom to come and my will to be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Like, that's what I see. And so when you say yes to God, don't, don't be under the illusion. Well, I said yes to God back in 1984 at a little church in Podunk, Alabama. Praise the Lord. Good for you. I'm sure God's impressed. It's never just one yes. Let me help you. When you got married, it wasn't just one yes. When he went to Jared, ooh. You said, yes, I'll marry you. And you were saying yes to his crazy family. And you were saying yes, right, to his irritable bowel syndrome. And you were saying yes to his underwear on the floor. And you were saying yes to his crazy Uncle Eddie, right? And if you're sitting there thinking, my family doesn't have crazy Uncle Eddie, it's you. You're Eddie. <laughs> it was never just one yes. And you were saying yes to the job transfer. And you were saying. And it's that way with God. It's never just when Mary said yes. It wasn't just yes, I'll have the Messiah. She was saying yes to scandal. Because she could have been divorced. Like because of the way they did the ceremony, you had this year of preparation. You could be a widow who, who was a virgin. 
And you could be a virgin who had been divorced. And, and so she could have been divorced. Like she was saying yes to the fact that Joseph may divorce her. She was saying yes to riding a donkey to Bethlehem in her third trimester. She was saying yes to fleeing to Egypt because Herod was trying to kill he, he that was born uh, king of the Jews. She was saying yes to raising someone who was going to be misunderstood. And she was saying yes to watching her baby be nailed to a tree in front of her. It was never just one yes. And when you really come to God and say, I'm going to let you write my story, it's never just one yes. Because the moment there isn't a yes, the story stops. God will write as much of his story as you will give him permission to write. And the moment you stop giving him permission to write, he stops writing. And he will write a story that you may scratch your head at. You think about this. She says yes to the Messiah. Oh, I'm going to be the mother, the mother of the Messiah. And then she gets pregnant. And everybody's like, did you hear about Mary? Yeah, there's something about Mary. Mm -hmm. I know what she's been doing. Mm -hmm. Said it was the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right. I got a cousin said the same thing. But then it was born like the neighbor. I know what's going on here. And what's interesting, when you let God write the story, it may not look like you thought it. And some people may look and they may judge it. And some may be able to say, that's outrageous. And what they're calling outrageous, God's calling the miraculous. And what they're calling a scandal, God's calling salvation. Because God doesn't submit his plan to them and he doesn't submit his plan to you. It's a yes or no proposition. Will you let God write his plan and he may write something that doesn't look right to you and doesn't look right to them. But that doesn't mean it's not righteous in its end because of what God is trying to accomplish. And the religious may jump back and say, this is outrageous. And God's like, no, this is miraculous. This is scandalous. No, this is salvation. This is he who is born king of the Jews. This is the way he comes into the world. God needs your permission, not your outline. Here's the second thing. The plot unfolds as the story is written. I, I like this, this verse 31. Uh, the angel says, you will conceive, you will conceive, you will conceive. In other words, there's going to be a seed that's planted. You're going to conceive. Um, you see, because when God works in our life, he doesn't plant trees, he plants seeds. Because we live in a microwave McDonald society that if, if it's fast food, it has to be in under five minutes. Otherwise, it's a restaurant. And many times when God speaks, we, we miss the idea that God doesn't plant trees. He plants seeds in our lives. That's what he said, said. Every word from God will be fulfilled. Uh, that, that, that word, word, I said this was sperma. Every seed of God has the power within itself, contained in itself to fulfill itself. And so God, when he speaks, he is speaking seeds. What God wants to plant in your life, it starts with a seed. That, that's why the parable of the sower is so um, important. And it's all, in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, and it's the parable where the, the, the kingdom of God, he says, the kingdom of God, that means he's teaching us how to do heaven on earth. Jesus didn't actually teach us how to live on earth. Um, he taught us how to live like heaven on earth. The problem we have is we've learned too much of how to live the way earth lives. And Jesus came to teach people how to live on earth the way heaven is. 
your kingdom come, your will be done. It's, I know it's too deep for Christmas, but that's okay. Anyways, but he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a sower went out and he was throw, sowing seed and some fell on the wayside. The wayside is the trampled ground because if you're used to gardens, anybody ever been in a garden? You don't walk where you're going to plant. You walk beside it, right? Like I had a grandfather who had gardens and we'd go till it and he would run the tiller. And I used to think, why is he running the tiller like this? Because it would be easier to get behind it. He said, well, then you trample down the dirt where we're trying to break up the dirt so we can plant the seed. Right? How many of you, you're not going to act like you even acknowledge anything I say, no matter what I say. <laughs> you're just going to. Do you remember the party on the Santa Claus, the movie with Tim Allen? Went the, the school party with all the school faculty, and they're all just... And he finally does the secret Santa and he stands up and he says, I'm now going to say the word all of you have been waiting all night to hear fire. You know, that's kind of how I feel. Anyways, um, anyways, you trample along the side and he was saying some falls on the wayside on the trample ground and then the birds of the air, which re represents really Satan, comes and steals the word, right? And this happens, it's probably happening right now. Like I'm trying to speak the word of God and someone's on Facebook because someone updated their profile pic or someone's on Instagram or someone's texting somebody right next to them about how we're, you know, what, what are we doing for lunch? And you think you're multitasking, but really the birds are still in the seed, right? And you're, you're thinking about, I'm hungry and I wish you would hurry and it's lunchtime and they talked about money at church, so I'm never coming back. And <laughs> It's always funny to me that people say, talk about money at church, I'm not coming back. I'm like, you're sitting on money somebody else gave right now. Enjoying the heat somebody else paid for right now. Listen to a message somebody else provided by their offerings and generosity after hearing worship that someone else paid for. And then you act like, I can't talk about money. Why don't you go to a restaurant and eat really well and then just walk out and see if you don't get arrested? Here, you can come eat really well, walk out and, and not pay, and we'll invite you back next week. Anyways, so, <laughs> so there's the seed. <laughs> so some fell on the wayside and the birds stole it. Some fell on stony ground and, and it couldn't get a good root. And so it, 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 it died. It scorched when it was tested by the sun, it died. And then some, um, some got strangled by the thorns, the cares of this world. In other words, they received the, the, the word, but then they went out and started talking um, or about their problem and looking at the problem and focusing on their problem and it killed the word. And so Jesus is actually telling us that these are the, these are three types of soils. And then he says, but then there's a fourth soil called good ground and some fell on good ground. Now, I like that number one, he compares the word of God to a seed. And I'll tell you why I like that because um, a seed is a naturally occurring law of nature. It's not an occasional phenomenon. Are you with me? Like, like seed does what seed does. Are you with me? If you put the seed in the right ground, the seed's going to produce every time. It's going to do what it does. So he's saying the word of God has the power. Are you with me? Has the power to fulfill itself. The, the seed is going to do what it's going to do. And so God comes to your life just like Mary and he plants a seed. Now, when God said you're going to conceive, she didn't have a baby bump. Like if you're a woman and you've ever conceived, you understand this, or you have friends, I mean, most women understand this. The day you conceive, you usually don't know. It's usually a few weeks later that you're like, sums up. 
right? So he says, you're going to conceive. Mary's like, okay. And, and here would be a crazy thing is that, that it, it really, in that moment, it was more important about what she said than what he said. Because the seed does what the seed does, but it has to have soil. See, the parable of the sower is all about the soils. And what she said was, let it be to me according to your word. I'm not going to judge the seed, the plot, the narrative, or the story. I'm going to trust the seed and by faith receive it and say, okay, God, you can work in my life. And then whether I see anything instantly or not, I'm not going to judge whether the seed is working or not. I'm not going to judge the story when it hasn't been written all the way yet. I'm going to understand that I'm in a process that God is bringing me through a process that, that he has put the seed in my life. And, and my responsibility is not to make the seed or to give the seed power. My responsibility is to give the seed place. And then don't judge the story if it doesn't look right yet. Because understand that God didn't plant a tree. He planted a seed. And so I can't just step back because this seed will take 33 years to get to fruition. Right? Because it will be at the resurrection that we'll be like, he was the Messiah. Because he ain't here. He gone. Are you with me? And so in, in this process of this narrative, listen, listen. Don't judge the characters or the plot or the story. Just receive the seed and trust the seed. Trust that no word from God will return void, but it will accomplish the thing for which it was sent. That's what Isaiah says. Are you with me? Understand that you're, the characters are being developed and the plot is being developed and the story is unfolding. And so don't get discouraged when you look up and say, well, God said, but I don't see. You don't see a tree because he didn't plant a tree. He gave you a seed. And if you will give the seed a place, it will produce a tree. Are you with me? I, I saw this verse. I was sharing this with the staff. Isaiah 43. Now I love Isaiah 43. Because that's all passing through the waters and not drowning and passing through the fire and not being burned and mal like that. But look at Isaiah 43 verse 1. Because I've never seen this before. And, and if you're one of those and I say this, you're like, oh, I knew that. Then shut up and let me have my moment. Um, because I say all the time, like, I've never seen this before, but it's because I read the Bible and I've never seen it before. But I've read this chapter, I don't know, a hundred times. I don't know. But look what it says. But now thus says, time out. First of all, let me, I know the context, just in case you're a theologian. He's talking to Israel. They're in captivity to Babylon. Okay. And he is speaking the prophetic word of hope that he's going to restore them and redeem them and be with them through the trial and bring them back. Okay, so I understand the context, but let's just look at what it says because it is so good. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, I've redeemed you, I've called you by name, you're mine. I like that part. He who created you, O Jacob, and who formed you, 
O Israel. Now, you know Jacob and Israel, same guy, right? Bruce Wayne, Batman, right? Same guy. <laughs> Tony Stark, Iron Man, same guy, right? Four, four, same guy. <laughs> So like, Thor? <laughs> Never mind. Anyways, um, they're the same guy. But I like the verbs because they're different, even in the Hebrew. And we know the story of Jacob. Jacob has to flee his, his home after manipulating his father to steal a blessing that belonged to his brother. And he has an encounter with God. And God said, this place is Bethel, you know, the house of God. It's when he fell asleep on the, on the rock. I saw the angels ascending, descending. Then he goes to Laban's, get, his uncle Laban gets married, has some kids. Um, then Laban kind of cheats him. Then he cheats Laban. Then he's on the run again. And he has another incredible encounter with God where he wrestles with God. He says, this place is called Penel, meaning I've seen God face to face and my life was spared. It's interesting to me that God apparently can run as fast as you. Because every time he was on the run, God was there. Just saying, you can't outrun him. Um, but, but that's Jacob. But it was in that second encounter when he's leaving Uncle Laban's and he's running that he has an encounter with God. And God says, what's your name? He says, Jacob. And God says, your name not Jacob is Israel. All right. So there's your backstory. And then God, but throughout the Bible, God will call him sometimes Israel and sometimes Jacob. And, and what you need to understand is that Israel was always in Jacob, but he was in seed form. The seed of Israel was in Jacob. And God said, I created Jacob. There's the seed. But then I formed Jacob into Israel. There's the fruition. Are you with me? And, and what you need to understand is everything God has called you to be and do is in you right now. And everything you need to do that is in you right now. But it's in a seed form. And God has planted that seed and he has created you. But if you will surrender to him, he will form you into who he destined you to be. And I love this. I love this because for the rest of his life, when they talk about the patriarchs, they say Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They don't say Israel. They say Jacob. And I love it because Jacob was just as valuable to God as Israel. God values every part of your life, every twist, every turn, every up and every down. And when he finally gets you to where he wants you to be, he does not throw away where you've been. He doesn't plant Israel's. He plants Jacob's. Are you with me? The story unfolds as the, as the plot, plot unfolds as the story's written. Here's the third thing. Don't let your understanding limit what God can write. Don't let your understanding limit what God can write. Look at this. Luke one thirty four says, Mary says this. How can this be? How can this be? Like, how can I have a baby? I'm a virgin. I'm in a, in a marriage process here. And I'm not going to even have physical contact with my husband for, for months. How, how, can, how, can, how can this be? Have you ever been guilty of explaining to God why his plan won't work? <laughs> have you? It would help me because I do this all the time. 
Like, God, let me tell you why. Let me tell you. That won't work. Mm-mm. Not going to work, God. Mm, not going to go for that one. I just, we don't have all the pieces. We don't, right? Like, like I think about Moses. Remember Moses? Um, God says, Moses, I want to raise you up to be a deliverer for my people. And you're going to deliver like over a million Hebrews out of Egypt, Egyptian captivity. And what's the first thing Moses said? I don't talk very well. I'm slow to speech. This is why your plan won't work in my life. I've got some deficiencies. Um, Southern Fried Preacher quote for you. God doesn't need your ability. He needs your availability. And, and I like that, actually. I like the quote. But can I go a step farther? God doesn't need your capability, but he does need your cooperation. Because you can be available and not do anything. You can be available because you're not doing anything and haven't been doing anything. You can be Cousin Eddie holding out for your management position. And so I think it's more than availability. God needs your cooperation. And that's what God's telling Moses. Moses, I, I don't need your, your capability. I need you to cooperate with what I want to do. See, if we're not careful, we will give God the pen and then give him writer's block. Because we will explain why his story won't work or his ideas can't come to pass or why we don't qualify for what he wants to do. Why we're not good enough or we can't or we don't have. And God isn't looking for your capacity. He's looking for cooperation. He's looking for you to say yes and to continue to say yes. Just like, remember the 10 spies? Remember, there's 12. They send them in the promise. Josh and Caleb come back and they're like, we can take the land. Woohoo. And 10 of them are like, no, we can't. There's big giants in there. Right? And, and God's like, I knew there were giants all along. Like, just because you just now saw the problem doesn't mean God just now solved the problem. Amen. Right? God's like, I know there were giants in there. This is not, did they, did, they, did they really think they were reporting to God about the condition of the promised land? God, let me tell you a few things about what's going on in the promised land. It is true. There's big grapes. It is true. You got that one right. There's milk and honey and some peanut butter. Um, but there's big people in there, God. And God was like, really? Oh, man, y'all should just turn around and spend 40 years Wandering around the desert then. I didn't know there were giants in there. And here's what's so sad. They gave God writer's block because they took the pen back and they didn't say yes. And then check this. God had to take them into the wilderness and write them out of the story to write in a new generation that would actually trust him. I don't want God to write me out of the story. I want God to keep me in that thing. Are you with me? And so, and so we have to understand, we don't want to give a rider block, but let me tell you, this would be good right now. We see God's power in our life where we align our will with his will. That's where we see God's power. That's where we see God's provision. That's where we see, listen, God will not align his will with our will. We see God's power in our lives everywhere we say, let it be to me. 
according to your word. Where Jesus said, I'd rather not go to the cross. I wish this cup could pass. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And it's where we will align our will, where we will let him have the pen, where we will say, yes, here are the blank pages of my future, and you are welcome to write your story through my life. That's where we see the power of God. Because what's this? Mary says, how can this be? Well, I don't know, man. And, and, then, and then the angel gives the answer. And the angel answers, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. God and his Holy Spirit are the answer for your impossibility. Like he is mission possible. Are you with me? And you may be sitting there saying, how could this be? I don't know. And God's saying, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit, the power of God, the anointing of God, we call it. The anointing of God, God's power, His Spirit, His, His presence in and, and on our lives. That's what will make it possible. That God has a way to make the impossible. Because you understand, God only has possible. God, God has never acknowledged an impossibility because God has never experienced an impossibility. With God, there is only possible. And what seems impossible to us, God's like, good, I got an answer for you. The Holy Spirit. My anointing on your life, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And what you just said was impossible is now possible because the God of only possible has shown up in power. How will this be? The Holy Spirit. God, I don't know if I can do this. The Holy Spirit will come upon. God, I don't know that this is even workable. There's no solution. There's no way forward. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Listen, we are so guilty sometimes of living a life where we never seek, search out, long for, hope for, trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we limit God when we see something that we say is impossible, not even acknowledging that he has given us the power to live what is impossible. Jesus said in Acts 1, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. God is not asking what you can do. He is, he is longing for what you will allow him to do through you. When he mixes the Holy Spirit and the pen of the greatest author who's, who's ever been known with the pages of your life, when, 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 he, when he takes the pen 
and he puts the anointing of the Holy Spirit and he starts writing the, that's what he wants to see. That's what he wants to know. That's, that's what he's looking. He's not looking for your outline. He's not looking for what you think is possible. He's not looking for what you're comfortable with. He is looking for you to surrender the manuscript of your life, the pages that are yet to be written and saying, hey, don't tell me what's probable. Don't tell me what's possible. Just open the pages of your life and give me the pen and let me write a story that even you will be amazed. Just trust the seed. Trust the spirit. Trust the author. Are you with me? That's what God wants to do in your life. Will you let God write that story in your life? Will you let God write his story through you? Will you let God anoint your life? Will you give him the pen and say, God, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to write, however you want to move in my life, God, I will give, I will serve, I will love, I will trust, I will go. God, whatever you want me to do, I will let you write the story. I'll say yes, and I'll keep saying yes, and I'll keep saying yes, and I'll keep saying yes, and I'll keep my outline to myself, and I'll keep giving you permission to write a story in my life. And God, I will trust the power of your Holy Spirit. And I'll trust the authority of your penmanship. And I will let you write a story through me. Because that's what I feel like the Holy Spirit is asking. And all that I was supposed to ask you today is, will you let God write your story? Will you let God write his story through you? And I feel like as a church, like here we are, we have a heart to touch the world. Not just to have a, a church services, but, but to build a Bible school for like a ministry school and to send pastors and plant churches. And we said, Hey, in the next 10 years, we're going to plant four campuses and, and we're going to, we're going to train a thousand pastors and we're going to, all this stuff we're going to do, we're going to reach 10,000 people. And that's what I want to do. I want God to write that story. Cause I didn't think of that story. I think he thought of that story because I wouldn't be crazy enough to use those numbers. And we've said as a church, this is what we want to do. We actually believe we can change the world from Longview, Texas. And what we got to say is, God, do we want to, do we as a church just want to write a good church story? Or do we want God to write a good Christmas story? Of his kingdom, there will be no end. That's a Christmas story. And we'll let God write that story through our lives over and over and over again. Yes, yes, yes. One campus, two campus, three campus, four. Five campus, six campus, seven campus more. Come on, somebody. Because there are more people who are stuck in sin and bondage who need the light and the life and the grace of Jesus and what we are experiencing today. There are people out there that need it. So how could we ever be content with our story when God wants to write a masterpiece? Well, you got me excited. Now I'm wishing I wouldn't have wore this sweater. Rethinking that. I'm going to have shorts and a tank top in the 4 p.m. Come on, can we as a church say, yes, God, write your story through us. We'll love, we'll go, we'll give, we'll serve, we'll do whatever you want to do because there are more people out there than there are in here and we got to get those people out there in here because they need the same thing we needed when we came in here, the same thing we're receiving today. They need it. We got to go get them. We got to get them in here. God, until until you come back or until there are no lost people in, in the four surrounding counties, we won't stop. Are you with me? We'll let you write our story. Just like they said, can anything good come from Nazareth? 
I've got a book title I'm waiting to write. Can anything good come from Longview? And when we tell the story of Pathway Church and the churches that are planted and the people that are reached and the, the ministry school that's sending people all over the world to preach the gospel. And when we tell that story, it'll be our own Christmas story. Are you with me? Come on, can you give Jesus one more praise? God is so good. Why don't you stand? I'm so glad you were here.